It's Wednesday and it's Wayne McCurry. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. So it's Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne, it's one of those days where I look back and say, well, two months ago, if there had been a day when nothing was happening, the mood of the market would have pushed the market down. But today, the mood of the market is more bullish. So the market goes up, despite the fact there's no discernible reason for it to go up. No, there's actually none. But look, globally, and maybe even locally, but certainly globally, things have changed in the last month. A month, a month and a half ago, all you heard was the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates. In the last month, they've taken a far more dovish stance. We might not even see one increase, or we might only see one increase from them. And that's changed the moods of markets worldwide. And it's also the main reason why the rand has strengthened in the last couple of weeks down. It's a bit weaker today at 1350, but it went down to 1325. And remember, not that long ago, it was sitting at 14, 14 and a half, 15. So the mood globally has changed. And also, you never know what could ultimately transpire. But the trade talks between America and China seem to be going well. So although there's no particular news today that's pushed the market up, it's up about 0.6 of a percent, the overall equity mood has changed. And we've seen that specifically in the U.S. amongst the FANG shares. I mean, they've had a solid recovery in a quite a bad market that they had in the last couple of months last year. So the overall market sentiment mood has changed because of the change in the Federal Reserve's attitude to interest rates. There was this article I saw on, I think it was cnbc.com today, that was penned by somebody who manages quite a lot of money in the United States of America, some absurd amount of money. And he said that the the December route in the United States markets in particular was very good for the market because it reminded people that markets are vulnerable occasionally. And he thought it was rather cleansing. I suppose he was one of the people that loaded up. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would say yes. Look, the, the big thing from last year... Well, in fact, let's say, let's say even the last two to three years have been increasing interest rates. To me, more specifically, the long bond, because to me, the long bond is more important than the short-term interest rate. But the long bond in the U.S. went up from one and a half to three over that time period. And interest rates went up from 0.25 to over two short-term interest rates. Yeah. So you cannot expect a raging bull market in an increasing interest rate environment. And that's what we had until the bit of the route that we saw at the end of last year. So to me, that was actually a good thing. Now, normally, I would still be worried about interest rates because of the much higher cost of capital. But I think we've seen the end of that because we're lucky this time around. We've gone through a complete eight-year massive economic expansion in the world without any inherent inflation, because ultimately, inflation is the killer. Yes. And there's no latent inflation that you can't see anywhere in any major developed market. I mean, Europe's still suffering from deflation. Japan's still suffering from deflation. In America, there is inflation, but it's very, very subdued. So maybe the equity market, the bull market can carry on. Remember last year when we started talking, I was I was worried for... 2018 about the, about the equity market. I thought we would see some weakness, and we did see some, but that worry of mine's abated quite a bit now because we seem to have survived the increase in interest rates that we've seen 
simply because it has not been or it hasn't been driven by higher inflation. Let's have a look at a couple of stories that did come out today. SAFI, quarterly results. Market doesn't like it. Share price down mm-hmm. around about 5% for most of the day. EBITDA excluding special items, 197 million versus 172 million in the first quarter of 2018. Profit for the period, 81 million US dollars versus first quarter 2018, 63 million US dollars. Market doesn't like it though. Was it the outlook statement? What happened there? Yes. Look, there was a couple of things in there. One, one, as you said, was the outlook step. And look, unfortunately, and it's not SAPI's fault, but unfortunately with SAPI, there are so many special items and adjustments that it's actually quite hard to compare quarter on quarter. But the real problem was SAPI's business is still 51% glossy paper. I mean, they have done tremendously well to diversify, mainly into stuff called viscose, which is used in every single product just about uses viscose. Um, but they're still 51% paper and they're still massive in Europe. And the European glossy paper volumes were down 10 or 11% in the quarter because SAPI and, and other paper manufacturers were forced to increase prices. And now with online as a competitor, you increase prices and you put the, the magazine publishers they're just going to go more and more digital because the marginal cost of one extra digital user is zero, whereas the marginal cost of printing a magazine when your paper price goes up is, is, is quite high. So, And all of this was driven by the Chinese government cracking down on the importation of scrap paper because they said it was very, very low-quality scrap paper, and this pushed up paper, paper prices worldwide and Europe, it happened in Europe and it happened in America. So the third thing that's worrying the market about SAPI is that there's this big volume decline in Europe. The U.S. might happen next quarter. There might be a big volume decline in the U.S. And that's the main reason why the share price, I think it was down 8% at one stage and it's down about 5 or 6% now. Okay, yeah, just a couple of highlights from the statement, the closing statement. Graphic paper markets in Europe and North America have weakened in recent months, which has impacted the market balance. Okay, it's the first warning. Second warning, CapEx in 2019. It's not a warning, but it's a lot of money they're spending. Approximately 590 million US dollars they're going to spend on CapEx, which I suppose you have to keep on doing. But it does seem like a large number. And finally, given weak graphic paper markets and paper pulp prices, which remain elevated in Europe and North America, we expect EBITDA in the second quarter of the financial year, given current exchange rates to be slightly below that of 2018. Anyway, the market wasn't expecting that and the market didn't like it. So as we said, no, we're at about 5 6%. Goldfields came out with a trading statement today. And if you have a look at the top five movers on the JSC Securities Exchange coming into the close, Harmony, their best performer. You've also, there was Sid Banyer up there early on, but people don't like the, the Goldfield story. And I don't know, Goldfields always seems to me, it's got this... Ball and chain round, round it, which is a sort of a legacy issue. I don't know. And also, you know, management. Management to me isn't quite up to scratch compared to other gold miners. Am I being unkind? You probably are. Look, when they bought South Deep from the Kebble Empire, that was the big mistake. But, yes. you know, 20 years ago, South Deep was the answer to gold mining in South Africa. It was the last great resource, the last great untapped gold deposit in the country and this was going to be the winner and it's just turned out to be one disaster after another because the ore body is nothing like it was supposed to be so 
that's been their big problem. But of course, gold mining in South Africa is clearly a twilight industry. I mean, all the good golds we mined out many years ago. And what gold is, is a very, very deep in, is very deep in the ground. And it's of a relatively low grade. So your costs are going up astronomically. I mean, the compound increase per ounce of gold mined in some, this is only South African mines, must have been compounding at 15, 16% per year for the last 20 years. You know, and electricity doesn't help either. So it's a very difficult industry. But the gold mining index itself hasn't done badly the last couple of months. I mean, mm. it's up from about 1,200, the index, to about 1,400 and a little bit. Mm. Gold miners haven't done too badly. So you're going from the sunset industry to a twilight industry. Before you know it, it'll be a nightmare industry and it'll close down. It has to eventually, doesn't probably it? Probably is a bit of a... Look, it, it has to eventually. I mean, you know, gold mines... I mean, this is going back to the 80s now. And the gold, mine was, gold mines were by far the biggest employer in the country. And in the early 80s, gold mines were 40% of the JSE. And now I doubt if they're 1.5% of the JSE, and they're certainly not the biggest employee around. But that's the nature of an ore body that's depleting. Mm. It so, will eventually run out, economically run out. Yes, it will. Mr Ramaphosa spoke at the mining in Darbar at the CTICC in Cape Town yesterday. He was very impressive, but he always is when he puts out any sort of speech, whatever the content matter is. He's very, very good indeed. He seemed very optimistic about mining in South Africa, not specifically gold mining, obviously, but he spoke enthusiastically. Maybe he knows things that we don't. Well, look, there are still, we still got platinum, and at least the platinum shares are looking a bit better recently. And that's all in the back of the palladium price. But we still got lots of resources. We've got lots of coal. We've got lots of iron ore. And we've had problems now for 20 years, not just the last term, we've had problems 20 years on our infrastructure to get the stuff out of the country, our ports, our railways, been very, very restrictive. But we've still got a lot of mining going on in South Africa and the ability to increase production quite significantly, but everyone's been holding back for a decade because you didn't know, under Zuma, you didn't know the mining law and the mining rights and who held the rights because that was just total and utter chaos. I mean, it was astonishing how some people got rights and then didn't have rights. I mean, there, there, there's so many examples of corruption and incompetence in the Department of Mineral Energy. So that held people back. Didn't know what was happening with black economic empowerment and what laws were going to be in place. And the laws changed all the time. So that held back investment. Then you had the whole land expropriation debate. That held back investments. You remove those uncertainties and, the invest and now I've got Eskimo, of course whether you'll have electricity to build your mine and your expansion. But once you sort out those uncertainties, there can actually be quite significant investment because the commodity cycle's doing quite well and all the mining companies are flush with cash. Wayne, you spend most of your time with your head in the bonnet of a car. You're a tinkerer, so you don't watch yes. much television. But apparently a company called Multi-Choice Group Limited is going to be listing soon. And the release of the investor presentation on the website was on the Stock Exchange News Service today. Mm. I'm not the target market for Multi-Choice anymore. I find that it's gone from something that was actually quite exciting as, as a couch potato, as I am, to something that I've battled to find anything to watch on it that I really want to, apart from the odd football match and a bit of news. But do you like the investment proposition? They've had disappointing subscriber growth. The only reason why they've had subscriber growth is they've had to discount packages. In other words, bring out specials to entice people in. In other words, restricted number of channels, not the so-called premium. So they seem to have hit a growth ceiling on the premium package. 
and they have definitively hit a price ceiling on the premier package. You don't want to pay more than a thousand rand a month for your premier package on DSTV. It's just too much money mm. for the product that you're getting. There's too Stronger much waste, you see. That's the thing. There's too much yes. waste. And I, I know I've got 10,000 channels you don't even want to look at. No, exactly. And I remember speaking yeah. to Chris Becker about it years ago, and I said, is there any way you can make a bespoke channel? In other words, there are the channels in front of me. I can pick which ones I want. And for some that? technical reason, that couldn't be done. But to me, that is not the future. Yeah. But if multi-choice was going to compete with people like Netflix, it would do that. Yeah, well, that was, that was legislated very recently in India. The Indian government forced their pay TV to allow you to choose by channel. So that could very easily happen. But it doesn't change their, their overall offering because 90% of all those mind-numbing channels they've got on there <laughs> costs them virtually nothing to get the content. It costs them virtually nothing. Mm. So it is the sport and the true premium movies and the series channels and all of that that actually costs them the money. So I don't think it affects their dynamics too much. But to their credit, they seem to be answering the Netflix challenge with the box office and with mm. DSTV catch-up and then Showmax. So they, they seem to be doing quite well with that. Of course, when Netflix does come here in a big way, they might not be able to answer that challenge. But to their credit, they are fully aware of this. And as a positive for the share price, it's a very cash-generative business, very, very cash-generative business. And, I mean, it has an, an overwhelming majority in South Africa. I mean, it's a real monopoly in South Africa, and lots of guys have tried to chip away at that and have failed dismally in getting that, that right. So, you know, maybe Netflix will be a bit like McDonald's or Dunkin' Donuts. You know, it seems easy when you're a global giant. You're just going to come here and conquer the local opposition. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's not that easy because the local guys are quite entrenched. But they cannot push prices up. If the rand weakens, their margin comes under pressure because 90% of the content that matters is all paid for in dollars. So, yeah, I don't know whether I'll go for it as, as a listing or not. But it's, it's, not, it's not the worst offering I've ever seen come to the stock market. But I don't know if it's the best, one of the best I've ever seen. Okay, so it would have to be a valuation story. Let the thing settle down. Yes. If it comes back because of whatever reason, its if own it's reasons, 12, 12, well, the rest of the market, then just have a yeah. look at it at a decent yeah, 12, valuation. 13, 14 PE. Yeah. yeah, 12, 13, 14 PE, you look at it. Wayne, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time this evening, as always. That was Wayne McCurry, who is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. <laughs>